Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It is my pleasure to welcome Paul Doust back to the podcast. Welcome back, Paul. Thanks, James. Great to be back again. Thanks for having me. All right. Great having you on. And for those that may not be familiar with you, you know, you are the founder and managing director of CO Asset Management. Prior to that, you've had extensive experience in energy, oil and gas sectors. Plus, you're also on the board of directors at PMAC. Although very brief, what else can you tell us about yourself? Well, um, you know, in my over 25 years, I've, I've done a lot of different things. Most of my experience was kind of at, at uh, various plants, um, although I, I did spend the latter um, years in kind of more of a centralized corporate uh, roles. Um, but I guess for our conversation here, um, in the last few years, I had the opportunity to help develop a couple process safety uh, management systems. And, you know, the approach that we took, I thought was very practical and pragmatic, and it fit well with the industries that uh, I worked with. And I kind of learned the approach from um, Scottish Power, who, you know, years ago, they, they had a process safety incident that fortunately didn't kill um, anyone, but it forced them to reconsider how they manage their facilities. You know, they looked at process safety practices, particularly in the North Sea, and and they took some of those uh, practices and they applied them, you know, like I said, in a very practical way that suited their organization. And, you know, they were very successful in not only reducing the risk of, of their major accidents, but, you know, they also found that they were able to reduce their um, maintenance uh, substantially and... Uh, also improve their operations because they built they built not just process safety but they built it into an integrated operational management system and you know they they worked in partnership with the health and safety executive in the UK and you know they were so successful that the the HSE kind of held them up as an exemplar and you know the, the, their case study has been well documented uh, maybe we can provide some links to that um, you know Scottish Power later commercialized their approach, and it's kind of that approach that I've kind of learned and applied, um, as I said, a couple times in the last few years. So, you know, I don't necessarily hold myself um, as a process safety expert. I've got experience in it, but there's certainly a lot of people who've got a lot more um, specialized knowledge and skills in process safety um, as I do, but I have learned, um, you know, a very pragmatic way uh, to implement process safety in an integrated management system. So that's what we can talk about today. All right. Excellent. So for those that may or may not have heard the term process safety, what is that? Because, you know, there's certain industries it applies to more than others, um, you know, or maybe there's a different definition for it behind those different industries. But what is process safety? Well, the, the Wikipedia definition is the prevention of unintentional releases of chemicals, energy, or other potentially 
dangerous materials during the course of processes that can have a serious effect to the plant, um, the environment, and the safety of people. Um, you know, what I like to do is, is just call it, you know, process safety is managing hazards from the assets and industrial processes themselves. So what I found is, you know, there's a, there's a need to contrast process safety from, from your typical occupational safety, which, you know, most people are very familiar with. Um, occupational safety deals with the safety inherent from the work and related tasks and from the surrounding work environment. And, you know, it really drives home, like you, you can follow all the rules in occupational safety and you can still have an industrial accident um, with safety consequences. So, you know, there, while safety is kind of the common uh, thread there in terms of consequences, it is a bit of a different practice from your, your, your typical health and health safety and environmental practice. Um, you know, most of the worst industrial accidents in, in history, you know, they always appear to be a series of unfortunate inc incidents. But, you know, the truth is, you know, that there's many contributing factors and each of those can and should be managed individually to ensure the safety of the system and the plant as a whole. And that's really the objective with process safety is to understand your hazards and to manage them uh, very, very deliberately. All right. Excellent. Now, are there industries or assets that process safety, you know, more readily applies to, or can we apply this to everything? I, I think, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's important that you apply the correct rigor and discipline. Um, while, you know, I think it's a true statement that, you know, all industrial sectors um, have, uh, the potential for major accidents. I, I don't necessarily think that there's a one size fits all um, solution. Now, you know, on one hand, you've got these top tier, very high hazard sites, um, you know, when you've got, you know, uh, very explosive chemicals and then stuff like that. And, you know, very often these types of sites are regulated uh, specifically for process safety. You know, for example, there's coma in the UK and, you know, different jurisdictions have, have different uh, regulatory means, but, you know, for these high hazard um, facilities, you know, that's where a high level of rigor and discipline is required and you need formal process safety management. Um, for other industries, you know, you, you can apply process safety in a way that kind of uses some of the same techniques, but, you know, applies applies those in a very practical manner. So, you know, for example, in, in, in the U.S., uh, OSHA has requirements for process safety. Um, and, and, you know, you need to, you need to meet those, um, those requirements. Um, but, you know, how you go about doing that and making sure that it's, it's right sized for the organization is, is, is part of the challenge. So, um, you know, I, I do think, again, um, all industries do have a process safety uh, element to them, but, you know, the solution and, and how you manage that, I think needs to be a right fit for the organization to make, to make it uh, practical. And we'll talk about uh, what that might mean a little bit later. All right. Excellent. Now, what you talked a lot about sounds like what we normally do with a PM program. So aren't we already dealing with process safety by having preventative and predictive programs in place or not? 
Well, I, I think I think you are to some extent. I think I think people intuitively recognize that safety is, you know, certainly an outcome of what we do in in maintenance. But, you know, process safety requires a, a different mindset. You know, I, most of my experience was in, you know, plant operations, maintenance, reliability. That and and when I was really introduced to process safety. You know, I had to change my mindset, and and what I realized is, so did uh, the other groups in the organization. You know, to my surprise, I thought the health and safety, health safety and environmental professionals, you know, they would just get process safety immediately because that was you know, safety was part of their part of their role and job description. But honestly, like process safety is is a different mindset, and you know, the same thing with operations and and maintenance. And so, you know, this mindset requires, um, I, I would call it, it, the mindset needs to be held together with, the process safety mindset needs to be held together with, you know, the, the classic, um, you know, job descriptions of what we hold. So it's an and. And, you know, I was a bit surprised how much, you know, awareness and, how much the practice of process safety itself, you know, you, you needed to, you know, teach, um, you know, leadership and other practitioners in the organization, you know, what it is, because, you know, on one hand, you know, you can say back to maintenance. You, yeah, we do maintenance. And, and part of the reason why we do that is to avoid, you know, safety consequences. But, you know, there's been some very real examples that I came across I'll just mention one quickly here. You know, there there was these um, uh, temperature uh, transmitters that you know maintenance was having actually operations was having trouble with them, and they wanted maintenance and engineering to to uh, eliminate one of them. Well, it happened to be a two out of three voting scheme, and and those instruments were actually part of of a protection scheme for a critical piece of machinery and 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 the people the operations and maintenance uh, didn't realize that this these instruments were part of a safety scheme they were only simply thinking of it in terms of maintaining those instruments they weren't recognizing that the function of those instruments were integral to a larger scheme and it wasn't until the engineers got involved that you know they quickly said well no you can't do that because um, it's part of a safety scheme they were only thinking of the reliability aspect of it and you know I've seen multiple examples you know in 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 people doing risk assessments where they're thinking about it from the reliability perspective, but not necessarily from the safety perspective. And more importantly, that some of these assets are part of a very formal uh, protective scheme and you can't go messing with that. So, you know, there's that recognition that, you know, you have to look at things from a process safety lens. And when you start doing that, you see things differently. And, you know, that was a real um, eye opener for me when um, you know we started going down this process safety path, and I think it's important that everybody um, you know gets to the point where they have that recognition because, like I said, I was I was quite surprised. Um, we think we think we know this intuitively, but when it comes from maintenance or others, um, you know, it's really a complementary mindset and lens that we have to look at it at the same time. Yeah, I absolutely think. I think you're 100% spot on with that. You know, it's, they're related, slightly different, but you know, they're both actively working towards the improving safety overall. Now, 
is process safety related to PSM or process safety management, or are they interchangeable, those two? Um, depends how you look at it. I mean, you can look at process safety as a practice. Um, you know, when you say process safety management, I right away think of a, a system of management. And, you know, with any management system, um, particularly with safety, you have to say what you do, do what you say, and prove it. Right. So, you know, I've seen examples where in organizations where process safety management, PSM, was built as kind of a standalone self-contained management system within the broader, you know, operations context. Um, you know, and they kind of build their own little um, empire, if you will. And, you know, while that's good, you know, the approach I like to do is, okay, process safety is a valid perspective and it needs to be in there, but it, it's better to be integrated um, within kind of the holistic operational management system. So, you know, if, if you look for process safety, you can see it, but it doesn't have to be its own self-contained thing within there, right? Um, now, having said that, when you're, when you're building a process safety management system, whether it's by itself or as an integrated operational management system, you know, I, I think there's certain things that you need to do to draw attention to process safety in and of itself. As I kind of mentioned earlier, that awareness is key. But, you know, the point I'm trying to make here is it doesn't have to be its own standalone um, entity because, you know, at the end of the day, it has to be integrated because we all have, um, you know, whatever your role is, whether it's leadership or operations or maintenance or engineering or supply chain, we all have a role in safety as an outcome and process safety is part of that. Yeah, I think that's important that that separation, you know, whether you have that management framework around it or whether it's fully integrated, you know, I think that's a good differentiator because we may be doing a lot for process safety, but we don't have that formalized system. Now, how does one get this started? Does this involve like a lot of FMEAs, drawing review? How do we get a process safety program or process safety started? Well, I mean, there's a few ways to go about doing it. And, you know, um, you know, there is a set of practices, you know, functional um, functional safety engineering. And, you know, I've been, I've been trained in all those. Um, but like I said earlier, I, I think, you know, to make it practical for the organization, um, you know, I, I think there's a right level of rigor and uh, I do prefer some methods than others. But, you know, actually, I think the first step um, is ass assessing the criticality of your assets. So assuming you've got you've you know identified all the assets um, and this doesn't have to be first, but I think it can happen at the same time. You know, um, assessing your asset criticality is important. And I think that process safety perspective has to be built into it. Now I've seen, and I'm sure you have too, and, and your audience is aware of, you know, lots of different ways about going about assessing asset criticality. And, you know, I've seen some, some incredibly complex um, scoring systems out there and software to support it. And, you know, I, over the years I've, 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 the, the, one of the best asset criticality schemes I've seen and have used myself is just a very simple, basic, you know, score, not scoring an assessment of one to nine based on worst plausible consequence. So, you know, your, your, your worst, your major accidents, um, 
in, in terms of safety consequences would be a nine. Your, your, your major environmental consequences would be an eight. Your major financial consequences would be a seven and so on down the line to where you get down to one. And, you know, that's where, you know, the failure of that asset doesn't really have any consequences other than the repair uh, cost to get that going. Right. And, you know, it, 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 it just, it, it irks me when I see all these extensive um, scoring systems when, you know, at the end of the day, you know, criticality is very rarely used uh, by itself. It's usually uh, in combination with other, some other type of urgency, like, for example, for uh, maintenance work order planning or um, scheduling prioritization. Um, so, you know, I, I, I really promote a very simple asset credit criticality scheme where, um, and I want to draw this out again, it's based on worst plausible consequence or worst credible consequence. I've seen both words used. And a lot of reliability folks, they tend to assess the criticality based on most likely consequence. And when it comes to safety, uh, it's important to distinguish between those two. So worst plausible consequence gets your safety involved. And, you know, this one to nine scheme, it's simple, it's effective. It can, it can integrate, you know, your your um, company's reputation, um, all of your compliance, your regulatory requirements in just a simple one to nine score. And, and you know, the, the nice thing is you can put that into your asset um, uh, master data uh, very simply because, you know, I see all these, again, fancy scoring systems where, you know, you got a spreadsheet or, you know, 20 some fields. And then at the end of the day, what do you do? You put it into your CMMS as an ABCD. And, and to me, that's just, you know, that's going overboard and you don't need anything more extensive than a simple one to nine scoring system. So once you do that, you know, the next step, and again, this, this could be concurrent, is to perform uh, some type of process hazard analysis, PHA. And, you know, there's many techniques to do this. Um, could be your HAZOPS, you know, FMEA is a form of that. Um, and I'm not going to be prescriptive here, but one of the, one of the techniques that I've learned that I, I like quite a bit um, is bow tie diagrams, which have been, you know, um, accepted as, as a, a way to do this in recent years. And the nice thing about bow ties is it's, it's a diagram, right? So it's very visual. And not only does it highlight very clearly what your, what your major accident hazards are and those events that you're trying to prevent, but it comes complete with threats, you know, and preventive and mitigative barriers. And basically it's a, it's a, it's a graphical multi-linear version of James Reason's Swiss cheese model. But, you know, no matter how you get there, um, you do need to understand what your hazards are and understand what you need to do to manage them, right? So that gets us to the next step. Once you understand what your hazards are um, and you identify what you need to do to manage the risks associated with that, then that's what you need to turn your attention to. Now, of course, I'm talking in terms of probably more the operate and maintain phase of a facility. If you're in the design and um, phase, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very important that you have this PHA. And of course, doing it at that phase, you have the opportunity to perhaps even influence the design based on the risks that you can come up with. But, you know, 
that's at some point the point is that you, you you need to understand what your risks are and you need to have some type of process hazard analysis in place um, but once you do you know now you turn your attention to making sure um, that you understand the integrity of those barriers that are used to reduce and mitigate that risk. And again, you know, I'll reiterate that that's not just a maintenance function, that's operations, that's engineering, that's supply chain, you know, and, and leadership, of course, has, has a large role to play in this. So, you know, everyone has to work together. Um, once, once, you know, you've kind of formalized your asset management plans, you have to, you have to actually apply that to your, your safety critical assets. And, you know, there's, there's certain ways of doing that. Um, you know, I like to promote um, use of asset safety classes. So, you know, there's a finite number of different type of safety functions and protective, you know, devices and systems out there and you know you can codify those and once you do that in terms of asset safety classes you can actually develop you know management plans by class and then apply those very quickly and easily you know into your um, CMMS and your EAM systems but what's important is that you're very deliberate and you have a formal management plan that says here's all our safety critical assets and here's what we're doing to manage those and then of course you have to do what you say you do right you have to you know make sure you're doing those those tests um, and record the results of those and last but not least where you recognize that you might have a risk reduction barrier compromise you need to declare that as an impairment that's the word i use um, but of course get to work to restore the integrity at the earliest opportunity um, to do that so you know um, your safety pro process safety program needs to kind of document all this but you know you don't have to have everything complete and perfect to to get this done and there are ways to go reasonably quickly um, in terms of, you know, depends on where your maturity is, but, you know, um, there, there's some people that will promote that everything has to be perfect, but don't let perfect stand in the way of good. Just make sure you get going and uh, be very diligent. This podcast is brought to you by High Performance Reliability. Be sure to check out High Performance Reliability's online maintenance plan scheduling course, Planning for Profitability. This SMRP accredited course will take you through all aspects of a maintenance plan and scheduling program and provide you with tangible takeaways to make a difference in your organization immediately. You can find out more at hpreliability.com. All right, excellent. You know, I liked how when you were talking about, you know, the criticality piece, you mentioned be worried about those large, highly unlikely events, the black swan events. Those are some of the things we need to consider as we do this. Um, you know, there's a lot that we got to consider with these. You know, it is a formal process. Understand your risks, which ones present the greatest risk, work through whether it's PHAs, bow ties, FMEAs, all these different things and come together with that system. Now, this requires a tremendous amount of data. Where do we get all the data or information for this, pro this program or this analysis? 
Yeah, you're right. It does take a lot of information to to and data to manage well. But, you know, um, the training that I took for process safety, I did. I'll give a little plug here for ACM facility safety. And, you know, what I learned there was that there is a process safety life cycle that takes you from kind of plant design all the way through operate and maintain phase to, you know, the end of the facility life. And while it does kind of start with the process hazard analysis, you know, there's other forms of information that gets managed. There's layers of protection analysis. There's safety integrity levels determination. So SIL determination. There's contingency planning. There's, you know, safety requirement specifications. There's SIL verification. And, you know, there's also real-time resilience management, which is where in real time you're trying to measure the integrity of, of those of those risk reduction measures and you know all of that's required for a good functional safety um, system but again you know I'll say you know it sounds like and, and certain people may promote that you kind of need all that in place and and you know like anything you know process safety is a journey you can't get there immediately um, and, and don't let perfection be the enemy of good. You got to kind of build this stuff as you go. Now, a lot of my experience, interestingly enough, has been in the power generation industry. And, you know, what I learned when, when I actually took this, this, this functional safety training is, you know, we didn't typically use terms like safety and um, instrumented systems and, and LOPA and SIL. Um, but, you know, it turns out that power generation, you know, the designs of power plants have kind of evolved over time. And yes, there is safety instrumented systems in there. And even though we didn't necessarily use that vocabulary, you know, we did treat them as such, you know, for example, there's burner management systems, there's combustion safety systems on gas turbines and stuff like that. So while we didn't necessarily use the vocabulary, we had good designs that, you know, we managed very well and so you know it, it ended up being you know we had good designs but really the value came in making sure that those designs functioned as in, intended so it ended up being about being very disciplined and diligent about maintaining the functions of those systems which for your maintenance and reliability folks that hits close to home so you know back to your earlier point about maintenance you know yeah we have been doing this stuff but you know, you just need to recognize that there's an extra level of rigor and discipline that is required in terms of managing it, in terms of saying what you do, what you do. And, and I have found that it does, it's, it's necessary to call out those, those tasks that we do, particularly in maintenance that are safety related. Um, I'll give you another example. There was, there was a fellow who was asked a, a maintenance uh, instrument technician who was asked to go out and calibrate this instrument and it was uh, a pressure transmitter on a furnace and you know he did this and he made a mistake and he didn't realize that this instrument um actually took down the whole furnace and and this actually happened in a when when you know the the operating unit was in a state where how do I say this? Um, it was very important at that time that the unit stay running. And, you know, this incident just highlighted a series of, um, let's call it ignorance. And I, I say that in a kind of a kind way, because, you know, 
management didn't understand that you know they shouldn't have been going out and doing this on this instrument but the, the whole point is that this instrument served a safety function and it was to protect the furnace and we didn't realize that um, this was part of that system and so you know to the to the maintenance technician this was just another calibration task but there was nothing on his PM on his work order that said hey this is a safety function. This instrument belongs to a safety function. And here's all the, um, here's how you need to treat that. And you only do this type of work under these conditions and all that kind of stuff. None of that was apparent. And so, you know, that's just a simple microcosm of kind of what happens each and every day. We treat these tasks as just maintenance tasks and they're not. What you're doing sometimes is you're proving out that the safety of this function um, should they be called on to demand to perform that function, um, uh, would work if it was called upon. And, and we don't always have that lens and we don't always look at things in that way. So, you know, um, it's important that um, we understand what's process safety and what's not. The other thing is, you know, one of the reasons why organizations do this, and I have to give this one organization credit, the whole reason why I shouldn't say the whole reason, but a big major reason why they went down and, and implemented this process safety management system was because they recognized that in the market they were in, they were going to have to take some risks and they didn't want to take any risks on the safety and integrity of their assets. So part of the reason they were doing this was to, to, to differentiate what asset management was safety related and what was not because they felt they could take some risks on uh, where the risks were financial only and not safety. And again, I got to give that leadership team some credit because, you know, they wanted to say, well, look, if we're going to have to cut budgets and we're going to have to, you know, do all this stuff, we want to make sure that there's some certain things that we don't cut. You know, what are the must do's, right? And and that's really, you know, in large part what what process safety management gives you is, you know, here's the stuff that you need to do. Right. And, and sure, you can take risks in other areas where you can put some production at risk. Um, but but and, you know, we're seeing this today with the COVID-19, you know, organizations are, you know, they're first of all, they're not operating in a normal environment. But, you know, they're all taking great care as much as possible, from what I can see, to not not take on any undue risk um, for the process safety itself. So assuring that that integrity um, is foremost in, in their minds and how they're behaving right now. Yeah, absolutely. And when we have this in place, does it eliminate all risks or are we just mitigating some of those to something that's acceptable for us as an organization? Well, I, I, I mean, we're, we're kind of taught, especially in engineering, to eliminate the risk as the first option. And, you know, that's always valid. But the truth is, is, you know, we don't operate many of these industries you know, can't operate in zero risk environments or you just wouldn't operate at all. So, you know, it's it's really about mitigating those risks in design and how we operate, how we maintain, you know, how we manage, right? Um, you know, there, there's, there's a term that's used very often in process safety called uh, a LARP, uh, 
which stands for as low as reasonably practicable. So, you know, and that's that term is used, you know, in, in regulation and management of safety critical um, systems. And the principle here is that you want to reduce the risk as far as is reasonably practicable or until the risk is um, um, disproportionate. The cost to, to reduce the risk any further is disproportionate to to any risk reduction that comes from that. And, you know, that that phrase is kind of part of the process safety lexicon. And, you know, that is part of managing risk. There, there's another term that is similar, but um, is not the same. And and, you know, before I took the process safety training, I kind of use these terms interchangeably. The other term is called so far as is reasonably practicable. And, you know, um, what I've learned is that, you know, the so far as so far as is reasonably practicable, you know, that was was developed um, as a result of common law court judgments. And, you know, the SFAIRP term, it goes further than a LARP. Now, you know, it, it is the similar in concept, but basically what it says is, and, and these are my words, you know, they say, don't be bothered trying to guess the degree of rareness of an event. Just get on with doing all the things that are needed to be done to ensure that event does not occur. Right. And, you know, um, I did some work in Australia and the engineers of Australia have, uh, and if I can find it, I'll send it to you. They have a, um, kind of a position paper um, and it's a bit of a use case on this concept and contrasting SFAIRP with ALARP, ALARP. Um, and, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of it is all kind of jump to the, to the um, punchline. You know, you never want to be in the position where, in this case, a judge said, what do you mean you didn't think it couldn't happen? Seven people are dead, right? And, you know, sometimes, and as you know from some of our other um, some of our other conversations we've had, I am a big proponent of quantitative analysis, particularly when it comes to risk. But, you know, there's an exception here when it comes to safety, right? And, and, and both of these terms kind of address this is don't get caught up in trying to evaluate the degree of rareness um, and, and trying to match that to your, you know, your semblance of risk tolerance. Now, the organization needs to understand what its safety risk tolerance is, but, you know, don't let the, the quantitative um, aspects of this stop you from doing everything it, that should be done um, to, to, you know, to come up, do everything that's reasonable. And you know what, there are some tests that, that can help you understand what, what, what reasonable means. And, you know, there's been, there's, you know, there's um, standards, you know, there's, there's legislation um, that can help you as well. I won't necessarily get into all the details here. Um, but there is ways to evaluate, you know, whether what you're doing, you know, would satisfy, you know, what kind of um, due diligence is the organization taking here. And, you know, just as a bit of a, um, a recent um, case study, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with the, the two crashes of the Boeing 737 MAX 8 um, planes. And, you know, there's, there's a system in there, of course, you know, for those who know the Boeing 737, this particular 
design was evolved from a previous design. And, you know, there's a safety system in there called the Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System, or MCAS. And, you know, I won't go into great details here, but, you know, what's emerging is a, a case study on, you know, risk tolerance and and safety with of a system here where it looks like, you know, uh, Boeing in some of the uh, articles I've seen, you know, they assess the risk as low, right? Meaning, um, well, it's not up to me to say what it meant, but, you know, the re end result was, um, you know, there were some issues with this MCAS system and those weren't resolved, but, you know, the risks were assessed as low, but, you know, there's been two crashes since. And I think when, when it all shakes out, um, this will be one of the cases that um, gets mentioned and, you know, you could call it a process safety incident of sorts. It was from the system. And um, I think we're going to see some, some fallout that's really going to drive home the importance of a LARP and, and the, so far as reasonably practicable um, and, you know, organizations um, risk tolerances. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a challenge with that LARP and as low as reasonably practicable. Um, you know, I've heard that term, but I didn't really understand the difference between the two. So that position paper is might definitely help shed, shed, shed some light on that. Um, now, you mentioned there are standards. Now, I don't want to go into detail about what's included all these standards, but what are some of the standards out there if we're looking for process safety? Yeah, I mean, there, there's lots of standards, as I mentioned, there's lots of models for managing process safety, and there's lots of, you know, organizations that are there to help. So there, there's tremendous resources. I, I guess I'd probably start with the two IEC standards, 61508, which is the functional safety standard, and 61511, which is the safety instrumented system standards. So, you know, a lot of, of what we see in process safety are kind of centered around those two documents. You know, there's there's API for mechanical integrity. There's the OSHA 1910.119. It has its 14 elements. You know, the DuPont model has been around forever. You know, there's the Center for Chemical Process Safety, uh, CCPS. Um, that's part of the American Institute of Chemical Engineers in the U.S. In Canada, there's the Center for the Canadian Center for Occupational Health and Safety, which has some pro good process safety um, stuff in there. In fact, it's got a good simple document um, that maybe we can include in your in your notes as well. But the, the point is that, you know, this is really well known. You know, I mentioned um, I've, I've taken training from from, you know, formal um, uh, process safety, functional engineering training. Now, you know, there is a functional safety engineer a formal um, accreditation that, you know, I took the training, I did not do the test, so I'm not a certified functional safety engineer, um, you know, but there's that, you know, we felt it was important that somebody in the organization actually knew exactly what functional safety um, process safety was. And, you know, it is important. Now, how you apply it, you know, I, I, I kind of, I maybe it's, I, I like to say we tried to, we applied it with training wheels, right, because of the maturity of the organization and whatnot. And, you know, back to my earlier comments, I think, you know, there, it's not a one size fits all. There's there's a right fit for every organization. Um, so, you know, there's different ways to go about doing it. But, you know, there's lots of resources out there to help. And, um, 
What's important is that we recognize that there is a need for process safety and leadership thinks about what that right size should be. All right. Excellent. Now, we've talked a lot about process safety, but what is the one thing you think makes the biggest difference in being successful with it? Well, I think maybe it's super obvious, but, you know, understanding your process safety hazards, you know, um, for anybody who works in an industrial facility, (coughs) excuse me, you know, they should know what the hazards are. You know, I said earlier, you could follow all the best, you know, health, safety, and environmental uh, schemes and in, ma- in maintenance practices and in maintenance, you know, you could follow your, you know, all your best, you know, um, uh, standards and procedures around lockout, tag out and, you know, your, your control of equipment, um, your work permitting, and you can, you can follow the, the, the detailed procedures on, on how to do the, the task safely. But, you know, it doesn't matter if the pump that you're working on, you know, the, the, I'm not trying to be too dramatic here, but, you know, if the, if the pressure vessel that's beside it blows up, right. And, you know, um, ever since, you know, the industrial revolution, um, you know, that's where mechanical integrity came from was in, let's call it early stages of steam and power generation where boilers would blow up with, with, with regular frequency. Right. And, you know, we, we need to recognize what those dangers are in our facilities, and we need to be very deliberate about um, under, not just identifying them, but being very deliberate in what we do to manage them, right? So, you know, what's the one thing that makes the biggest difference? It's understanding what your hazards are and making sure that you've got um, controls in place to assure the integrity of those so that you can avoid um, the safety consequences. All right. Excellent. And what is the one action you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today on process safety? What is the one thing they got to go do, try, investigate from today? Well, I I was going to say, you know, understand your safety tolerance, but, you know, maybe I'll I'll make that a little bit more broad. And, you know, I've said a few times is it's it's, process safety isn't necessarily one size fits all. Now, I, I think the inherent dangers in your facilities and your risk tolerance will kind of drive you to understand, you know, what kind of practice makes makes sense, um, so that you can be very, you know, put as much rigor into it as is necessary. Be very deliberate about what you say you do, and prove that you're doing what you said you do, so that you actually reduce your risk. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's important to understand um, what is what is appropriate for your organization. And, you know, that's a conversation that, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how many operational senior operational leaders are having. I mean, you know, just like reliability, we all want reliability as an outcome. Um, and similarly, we all want safety as an outcome, but when it comes to the nuts and bolts of, you know, what is everything that we need to do to assure that safety, you know, I, I, I've got, I've got time for, for more of that conversation um, to happen because, you know, these organizations are carrying certain risks and they don't know about it. And, and, you know, one of the other things, um, I know one of the other questions you like to ask is what would you, what kind of, if you had a magic wand, what would you wave? Um, and when it comes to process safety, I would say to actually be able to understand what your real time risks are 
so that you understand what your resilience is on a real-time basis. Now, that's really hard to achieve, but you can only do that once you've decided, you know, here's our hazards, here's how we're going to manage them, and then start measuring the integrity of, of, of those barriers um, that, are, that are standing between, you know, your people and the hazards within their equipment. That's utopia, I think. Getting that real-time feedback on the current risks, being able to adjust real-time on that information, I think that's what we all want to get to. Um, I think that's a long journey to get there, though. Um, but it's definitely something, you know, with that magic wand. I agree 100%. That's where we want to be. Well, Paul, I want to thank you for taking the time today to talk to us about process safety. But before we go, where can people find out more about you? Where can they get in touch with you? That sort of thing. You can find me, uh, my website is coam.com, S-C-I-O-A-M.com. And I've just um, released a new website. I'm pretty proud of it. So please check that out. You can find me on LinkedIn. And um, you can find me uh, at PMAC as well. So as you mentioned at the onset. So um, I'm going to be pretty active here in uh, promoting all sorts of asset management and operational excellence uh, practices um, through my company, CEO Asset Management. So uh, please engage with me. All right. Excellent. I'll make sure to put links to all those in the show notes, including some of the other references that you mentioned, whether it's ACM facility safety, Scottish power, all those different things that you mentioned. We'll make sure to put links to those as well. Well, Paul, once again, I want to thank you for taking the time today to have this conversation with us. I definitely walked away with more information and even more questions now that I need to go investigate. And I truly appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, James. It's a pleasure as always. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out iridicio.com for a free copy of their ebook, A Smarter Way of Preventative Maintenance. This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value-added work you're doing, which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. www.iridicio.com